Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Hey, welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. I'm attorney Adam Hanson, and I'm in the studio today with the one and only Mr. Sean Garner, my partner here at the law firm. And then we've got Cody Beeson running the boards. And if you've been paying attention to the news cycle lately, there's a presidential hopeful on the, on the Republican side named Vivek Ramaswamy. You, are, are you familiar with this guy? Well, are you smart enough to vote? That's what I, every time I go to the polls, I'm looking around at people and I'm thinking, should this person be in here? Casting a ballot. No, I'm just teasing. I don't think that at all. But uh, Mr. I do. I do. Mr. Ramaswamy does. I, I do all the time because I look left and right. And I wonder if I asked them a few questions about the United States, about what their true political beliefs were, what distinguished them from a Democrat or a Republican or an independent. I, I think that many of them would have a hard time stating two or three issues that distinguish them between those parties. In fact, here's a, here's a little... Um, story that uh, proves my point. When I got married, I went to um, register to vote, and I registered as independent. And my wife looked at me and she said, what are you talking about? You're not independent. She just assumed that I was Republican. And um, I said, well, I would like the ability to vote for either candidate, and I want to demonstrate you know, on my voting record that that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to vote for the candidate that has the best... Um, policies, not necessarily just a straight party line vote. And so she said, I'm Republican. I'm going to register as Republican. I go, what makes you Republican? Can you identify two or three issues that makes you Republican as opposed to Democrat or Independent or Green Party or anything else? And, and uh, boy, I hope she doesn't listen to this, but she did have a hard time identifying those issues. She doesn't listen to this, I can guarantee it. <laughs> and... Um, and so I said, if you can't identify those issues, you probably should register as independent and then just look at the candidates individually. Now, this was 22 years ago, and when there was still sanity in both parties. I, I am the first to admit that both parties right now are insane, that the Republicans are insane, and they, they take these party-line approaches that I totally disagree with, um, but not as insane and, quite frankly, um, evil as this woke liberal movement that has taken over the Democratic Party. And I would say that a lot of Democrats have had their parties stolen from them. But the, the Democrats of 20 years ago, um, I identified with a lot of their policies or I could at least sympathize with them. Today, I, I, I don't. I, I, I feel like where the party has gone is really going to be judged harshly by history and it's going to be if it continues down this path it will be the factor that uh, takes this country down and takes the world into either another war or worse just moral degeneration to the extent that we step back centuries as far as our civilization goes. So recently, the AP wrote an article about uh, Mr. Ramaswamy. I just like to say that name, Ramaswamy. It's awesome. Anyway, getting back to uh, this article from the AP recently, they stated that uh, Mr. Ramaswamy voiced support for changing the overall U.S. voting age to 25, unless younger Americans fulfill at least six months of service in the military or as a first responder or 
passed the same citizenship test administered to those seeking to become naturalized citizens. And so Sean actually printed this thing out and we looked it over. It's got basic answers and questions or questions and answers as to whether you can be a citizen or not. You've got to pass this test. Uh, Ramaswamy's campaign announced that uh, he was pushing for a U.S. constitutional amendment to promote civic duty voting. That's what he's calling this. And so he's kind of running on this along with other things. He's been branded as an anti-woke um, candidate and uh, that seems to be. A- I, I think he would accept that title. Yeah, I proudly. I think the AP they use that word in, in uh, quotations, anti woke, and I think it's meant to be derogatory. But when I see that, I think most people see that they they breathe a uh, breath of fresh air. It's like, oh, thank goodness, you know, everybody's kind of sick of this stuff anymore. Anyway, um, what do you think about this, uh, Cody? actually making somebody serve in the military. No, Okay, so if you want to vote before, the way I understand Mr. Ramaswamy's proposal here is if you want to vote prior to 25 at 18 when you turn an adult, turn uh, 18, you have to either serve in the military or as a first responder for six months at a minimum, or you have to pass the naturalization test. What do you think about that idea? I, I think it should be two years. I think you should have to serve for a couple of years, and I think you have to rotate around the country and get out of your mama's house and live life and kind of like learn what it's like to be uh, an adult in the real world. And I think there's a lot of uh, things that, that we're coddling that younger generation, and they're not experiencing life and they're not understanding what the real world's really like. So yeah, I, I mean, I think I think there should be a, a mandatory draft for everybody, and maybe you don't want to, you know, go into the military and go fight. Whatever, go to Alabama and teach some kids to read. Alabama, go to Alabama, teach some adults to read. Whatever. But my point is, give back to the country in the service. Last last episode, Sean actually hit on this. We talked about generational differences we had in his son and daughter Wesley and Gracie, and we had my son Dominic on, and we talked about differences of ideals and work ethic between generations. And as you were talking, Cody, the first thing that came to mind was we call one of those generations our grand, our, I would say our grandparents, you and I, yeah. right? I think we're considered, uh, what were we? We were... Uh, millennials? I don't want to say that. We're going to yeah. say... Yeah, you are. You are millennials. I'm going to say Gen X. I'm on the li- on the line. <laughs> the edge of Gen X. Gen X and millennial. Okay, I'm right in there. We're Gen X, but our knees are still good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're, our, it would be our grandparents, which we refer to as the greatest generation, right? And why is that? They didn't have a choice to go to World War II, right? They didn't have a choice to be drafted into the Korea War well, or, you know, some, or Vietnam. Some, you lied to get into the service. Yeah, vo- a lot volunteered to participate in World War II. Some were drafted. The draft, a lot of times, when you, you look back at the history of it— um, was implemented more significantly in the Vietnam War and the Korean War, but World War II, um, a lot of people volunteered. And um, most of the veterans that I talked to, they weren't drafted. In fact, I would think that it's, it's, it's a very small percentage that were drafted. They participated either way. Um, anybody that I've talked to that's participated in World War II, they never said it, that, that their participation was done begrudgingly. They did it with pride and they did it because there was a sense of purpose and there was good versus evil and we were on the side of good it was it was black and white i think there are still black and white questions in the world that exist today 
um, I think there's a lot less courageous men and women out there willing to choose and distinguish that because we're living in the fog that the Germans lived in, similar to what the Germans lived in when um, their society was going through that transformation of being brought up through poverty and, and, and they were paying back reparations for World War II and they were given the option of, okay, the majority can be prominent and can be involved in this this mass movement of this party or you can be kicked off to the curb if you um, are a uh, dissident of the party or of the wrong race or or sometimes um, the, not, not only wrong race but nationality and um, sexual orientation and as well as uh, mental uh, capability so I think that that's the same case here today. It's it's not it's, it's a lot of discrimination that's occurring. Um, we're not pinpointing specific races to exclude, but what we're doing is we're, we're presenting a lot of ideologies. And if you don't embrace those ideologies, if you don't march in the in, in the parade, then you will be canceled. If you don't. Um, conform with the concepts and the ideologies that are put out there and what I call is is this woke craziness then you're going to be canceled or you're going to be targeted and blacklisted and um, I think that when if we get past this I think we will I have a optimistic view of the future but uh we're going to be looked upon as how early did we recognize that this was an evil movement and take a stand against it? So I brought up the greatest generation because maybe it is good for there to be what we call, it would be called a military conscription is the the term for this, where you don't have a choice. Your country is going to make you mandatorily serve in the military for a period of time whether you want to or not. That's that's what we call military conscription. And currently there's about 85 countries in the world that do this. Sweden is one of them. I bring that up because Sean's son is about to go to Sweden for a couple of years as a missionary. And uh, I was surprised to learn that, that Sweden actually has a conscription. Um, when you turn 18, you're required to serve a certain amount of time in the military, this you what I, I wasn't fact checking you. What I was looking up was when I lived in Spain for a few year for a couple of years, um, a few years back. I, they had conscription service, and I knew that because as I would talk to people around the, around, you know, I, I learned of that, and I thought, man, that's horrible. I don't want they they mandatorily had to go in the, into the military, and I made a conscious decision not to do that, not because I didn't want to or necessarily think I could hack it, but just because it wasn't. In my plan of life, I was focused on going on my mission and then going um, to college and things like that. So it would have set that back a little bit. So I was really blown away. This was, a, and I was a young 18, 19 year old when I was hearing this uh, idea of what you have to actually serve in the military. You don't, you can't say anything against it, you know? Um, since then, in 2001, Spain has, uh, they've actually abolished that. So it's not a conscription anymore. They're still a lot like the U.S. where if there is a time of emergency, then males from 18 to 25 can be called into service, kind of like that draft that we were talking about in in uh, World War II. Um, uh, and Vietnam, Vietnam was the same thing. They 
people were mandatorily sent off to Vietnam, whether they wanted to or not. Uh, so the idea is, do I need to pay something back to my country before I earn the right to vote? Or at 18, because I'm an adult, do I automatically get that right? And that's how it currently is. So Mr. Ramaswamy is proposing, no, we, we want our citizenry to be a little bit more educated, I guess is what he's wanting. Um, that way they make better civic decisions that will affect all of us. If, if you remember in the very beginning when voting was set forth, there were only certain individuals that could actually vote. There were requirements put in place by our founders that would allow for an individual to actually cast a vote on the national level. And ever since that came out, over time, those things have been struck down or either by the Supreme Court or through different amendments to the Constitution. And now everybody has a vote, uh, regardless, of, of whether you, regardless of your race, your gender, um, you do have to be a certain age, but everybody gets a vote now. And, and so part of me thinks, well, would we see the discombobulation that we've seen in past elections if we did actually have a higher standard of voting? Yeah, you know, to, bring that, to that question right there, um, I was on um, a Zoom meeting um, for a board that I participated in. It's the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, um, specifically for attorneys here in Arizona. And uh, the board was describing something that came down um, from the Attorney General of Arizona that stated it is unconstitutional for individuals who are placed in a guardianship position. Um, and for those of you that are unaware, if, if people are incapacitated and unable to manage their financial affairs or their day-to-day personal affairs um, when they're 18, then they can be placed under a guardianship um, supervision. And generally, there's a guardian that is either a family member or a public fiduciary that's placed in the role of making sure that these individuals are not taken advantage of. And in the uh, application, a default selection is that they will no longer have the right to vote. And so if you go through the court process of having uh, them appointed a, a guardian and conservator, then they lose the right to vote. And the attorney general said that's unconstitutional. I think that's right. I think it is unconstitutional to not address that specific question. But the question should be brought up, is this person capable of making um, reasoned decisions on their own without being influenced by unduly influenced by their family members or whoever it is that's their guardian to vote for whoever the guardian wants to vote for. So basically, they're just being used as a pawn. Uh, we got to take a break here, but this is a discussion about whether or not we should have the right to vote for every single person or there should be some standard out there. We'll be back in a moment. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. 
I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Law. I'm attorney Adam Hansen, and um, I'm in the studio today with uh, Sean Garner, my partner, and then we've got uh, Cody Beeson running the boards and pushing buttons and flipping cameras back and forth, doing what he does. And uh, prior to the break, we brought up the subject of Mr. Ramaswamy, who's a, a Republican presidential hopeful, and he has floated the idea in his campaign efforts to amend our Constitution, our U.S. Constitution, to require those that are under the age of 25, from 18 to 25, in order to vote, they would have to either serve mandatorily in the military or as a first responder for a period of time, or they have to pass a citizenship test, the citizenship test that is administered to those that are trying to be naturalized into our country as it, as it sits. So the question becomes, are you smart enough to pass that test yourself, to go to the ballot box and, and cast a vote? Um, I'm curious. I know Sean was curious, so he looked up the naturalization test and printed it out. And as we looked through it, Sean and, and Cody and I, we were looking at some of these questions. And, and Cody, it's funny because you, you brought up one of these questions and you took issue with it right off the bat. Yeah. And it's, it, what was it? It was, what does the Constitution do? Yeah, they're not giving them the real option. So this is a question and answer. So it says, what does, if, if you were going into the polls and before you were let in those doors, they said, whoa, 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 Mr. Beeson, you look like a good guy. But you, I don't, you know, I don't know if you're up to the task of casting a vote. Are you smart enough? And they say this is the password to get in. It's like a speakeasy. Yeah. Yeah. Speakeasy. <laughs> the to password vote. is. What does the Constitution do? And you would have to answer that question to enter in and, and to cast a ballot. But the real answer isn't listed. The real answer is to limit government. Yes. Yes. So what are the answers that are given here? Because we have we are cheating. We've got both the an- the questions and the answers. Do the naturalization. What are those answers? You guys have passed the bar. All right? There shouldn't be any cheating on this. No, no, no. But what? Yeah. I, I want you to read out those oh, the, answers. That yeah, are the set, options. Sets up the government, defines the government, and protects basic rights of Americans. But no, it's to limit government. The Constitution limits the powers the government can impose on you. Right. That's not taught in this citizen course. I don't know if it's Todd, but it's not the answer. Right. And, and what's interesting, too, is when you go on the website um, and you read the description of the test, it says these are the current, the most current answers to these questions. Th- this is history. What do you mean current answers to the question? <laughs> are you telling me that. the history is going to change? I, I was just wondering that same thing. This is a government administration, right? So this is an agency. Uh, the what is this? The, who administers this? Oh, the immigration, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. So that's an agency of the executive branch of our government. And so, my question as I was reading through this, and you brought it up, you kind of hit on it. Does this test change? And n- no, not so much the test. 
Maybe the questions remain the same, but do the answers change given a different administration or presidency? Because this is administered by the executive branch. I would hope not. Like you said, I mean, it is what it is. And if we're changing history in this test, uh, heaven help us for those that are coming in the right way through naturalization. And they have to, it's a moving target for them. Do I have to worry about, am I going to be more liberal in my answering these questions or do I be more conservative? That's, uh, that's no, no bueno. So let's get into some of these questions. Um, what is the supreme law of the land? Can you answer that? Listener, can you answer that? What is the supreme law of the land? The answer is the Constitution. The Constitution, if, it, if every law out there, any law out there, cannot pass constitutional muster, cannot be somewhat supported by the Constitution, or not somewhat, fundamentally supported by the Constitution, then I think it's an invalid law. It is an invalid law because the Constitution is the foundation of all laws. Second question. Um, what does the Constitution do? Cody, you already argued that the correct answer is not in here. The Constitution limits government and protects certain rights that we have deemed, that we have understood to be inalienable. God-given, right? Yes. Third, the idea of self-government is in the first three words of the Constitution. What are these three words? We the people. Now, I'm going to stop for a brief pause here. What, for every test, the first thing that most test takers ask is, what is the percentage that i got to get right to pass this test? How many questions are going to be on this test? The answer is, of the 100 questions that they have here that they can study from, there's only going to be 10 selected to be on the test. And of those 10, you only have to get six right. 60%. That's the lowest standard I've ever seen on any standardized test. The bar is being lowered, yet it's still a bar. It's still something. All high school graduates should be able to pass this standard, answer six out of 10 questions correctly. And these are the questions. So Adam, why don't you read number four? Number four actually goes to what we're, we were talking about before with Mr. Ramaswamy. He's proposing an amendment to the Constitution. So the question is, what is an amendment that is a, a change or an addition to the Constitution? And that's happened only several times over our, our uh, U.S. history, but it has happened. In Once in bulk with the first 10 amendments called the Bill of Rights, and then 17 times after that. Which was the next question. What do we call the first 10 amendments? Not the first 10 commandments. The first 10 amendments of the, uh, of the United States Constitution. We refer to those as the Bill of Rights. Why is that? It's the Bill of Rights because it defines specifically those rights that we wanted to determine that could not be taken by the government, by the federal government specifically, and then um, by the 14th Amendment extended to all state governments. So those rights, there was a big um, pushback about having the Bill of Rights implemented to the Constitution, because as lawyers, we understand every time you put something in a contract, then um, you have to explain it fully, or you have to explain that it's not the full comprehensive version of what we're putting in, the clause that we're putting in, isn't in there. And so that's that's the question that the people had. If we put in there that we have the right to 
um, not be suppressed in our speech, the right to um, a free press, the right to practice religion, the right to assemble, then we are alluding to the fact that if we don't enumerate these rights, the ones that we have left off the list, we don't have. And they didn't want to do that. Cody was absolutely right at the beginning when he says the Constitution was established to limit government. The Founding Fathers already, there was a government established. It was the Articles of Confederation. And um, they wanted something more specific. We needed a, a more centralized authority to bring the states together so we could stand together as a unified country. But we, we, they were scared to death of a very powerful government, which they had just shed blood, tears, and years of their lives and fortunes to, to get rid of, and that was the tyranny of England. So they, they were very, very cautious about this. So the, the Constitution was to rein in the government that was necessary, but um, they wanted to limit its powers. And, that, and they say it over and over and over again in the Constitution. To me, I mean, it was a miracle that we even had the Constitution. When you look at the history of that and how that all went down, it was a miracle that we had delegates from these early colonies actually convene in Philadelphia to come together and actually be one body in unison coming out with what we know as the Constitution. And the fact that that happened is just miraculous. As you look at the backgrounds of each of these men and that the their moment in history, if you will, but what's even more miraculous is that they recognized that it wasn't perfect right off the bat, that they needed to do some changes. And what were some of those changes? A lot of them were unsettled with the idea that, hey, we didn't talk about some of these things that we just got done experiencing under the British crown. We actually need to put that in writing. And, and so those Bill of Rights were signed. They were actually put together, I think, a year, about a year later after the Constitution was put together in uh, 1788. And then it was ratified by um, a majority of the, the then states in 1791, I believe it was. And that's when the Bill of Rights came into to being. And, yes. And so and, and- not all of them were on board. There were actually 12 of those uh, proposed amendments, and only 10 made it. And what I want to point out is the process of which that happened. It had to pass two-thirds in both houses, and then it had to be ratified by three-quarters of the states. <clears throat> that is the proper way to amend a constitution. That's the supreme law of the land. We need to be unified as a country in doing it. Um, right now, what we have is judges that are legislating from the bench they are defined they are interpreting the constitution and constitutional rights that aren't in the constitution and i'm adamantly opposed to that i believe that if we want to change the constitution we should and i think that it's a document that was developed for that purpose to allow for change to occur as our society developed and grew and 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 um unforeseen uh circumstances occurred that required the change of the, the Constitution. But for one example is the restrictions on the right to bear arms. There are no restrictions in the Constitution to your right to bear arms. Yet there are many restrictions all throughout every state about your right to bear arms. And that needs to be a constitutional amendment. I agree that a child should not be walking around and taking a gun to school. Absolutely. But it needs to be in the Constitution, and we should have 
stopped right there when we attempted any body, whether it was the state or federal government, um, to make a law regarding the right to bear arms, go, oh, well, this is in the Constitution. We need to go back to the Constitution and put in there the provision that we're granting now Congress or the states individually the right to limit this constitutional right to bear arms. Sorry. Side note. We've got to go to break. When we come back, the United States is the greatest country in the world because of the Constitution that we're talking about. It is unique. And uh, the question becomes, do we use the Constitution of the United States to protect not only those within our boundaries, but can we use it to protect others that are outside of our boundaries of the United States, namely those most vulnerable, uh, we're going to call them children? Do we have the jurisdiction or can we go out into the world or should we, is the question, go out into the world and save children that need help, that are not receiving the help that they need from other governmental agencies in their own countries? We'll talk about that as we come back. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit YumaEstatePlanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. I'm attorney Adam Hansen, and I'm in the studio today with uh, Sean Garner, my partner, um, and we've got Cody Beeson running the boards and pushing buttons and such. Before the break, I posed a question. Are we, as the greatest country in the world, morally obligated to seek out those that are the most vulnerable children of the world, not just within the U.S. jurisdiction? And the reason I pose that question is because there's a very popular movie out right now in movie theaters called The Sound of Freedom. And if you've heard about this or you've seen it on social media being advertised, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, because it seems to me that uh, it is not getting the press that it deserves. I actually went and saw this with my wife and one, my oldest son uh, recently, a couple weeks ago, and I already knew what it was about. I knew the gentleman that um, is portrayed in the movie. I, I knew his story. I'm familiar with it. He, just to give you a quick background, if you haven't seen the movie, or if you plan to, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but one of the spoilers is this is a true story. It's, it is a true story. This is the man's uh, experience in the federal government, our U.S. federal government. He, it actually starts in Calexico, this movie does, because that's where he was stationed as, a, as an agent. And his job was to seek out those that were trafficking 
child pornography. And so he had to sit there and watch hours and hours of, of disgusting videos of small children being molested and sexually abused so that he could then bring federal charges against these individuals that were doing that and trying to infiltrate these horrible, horrible trafficking rings. That was his job for the federal government. What he ran into was the problem extended beyond our boundaries of the United States because most of these children were being trafficked from foreign countries. Once they came into our country, he was able to have a little bit of jurisdiction, but the parents were still outside of our country, and those rings were operating and are operating in countries all over the world. And the United States is the number one consumer of child pornography and this issue. And that's why he wanted to bring this issue to light. Well, he runs into an issue. This is a true story. So he was working for the federal government, and then he ran into the issue of he was on a mission to save these two children from a particular family that were uh, trafficked. He was able to find one little boy, and through that little boy, the little boy mentioned his sister. Well, the sister was gone, and... uh, so once he saves the little brother, now he was on this vendetta to find this little girl, the sister. And he ran into roadblocks where our U.S. government said, we can't send you to Colombia and finances. They actually did, but for they said, you got, you've got like you know, 48 hours, but we can't do more than that because you, we don't have jurisdiction there. And um, so that was the issue. So he gets down there. He, he ultimately infiltrates and sets up this huge uh, sting operation. And right before it's about to go down, where they're going to catch this huge ring and these big, big fish that are involved in this, and they're going to save close to about 50 children, the U.S. government said, you, we can't find it. We're, we're going dark. You're out. You know, we can't do this anymore. And so he had to come to grips with the idea of, what do I do? Do I stop what I'm doing and come home? Or do I quit my job for the United States government? And I pursue this privately. And so he makes that determination in consultation with his wife. His wife is coaching him through this thing the whole, whole time. And uh, he decides these children are too, too much um, worth, worth it. You know, they're worth anything he can do, his sacrifice. So he, he quits his job while in Colombia on the sting effort and finalizes that sting with uh, prayer and, and, uh, people coming out of the woodworks to help, and they ended up saving over 50 kids and getting some really, really bad guys, but that was just the tip of the iceberg. And so that's what this movie is about, is chronicling that true experience of him going down and saving all these children. But that's, not, that, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And at the very end of the film, the main character, actor, whose name is Jim Caviezel, you'll probably know him from The Count of Monte Cristo. He was The Count of Monte Cristo, and he was also... Um, Christ portrayed Jesus Christ in Mel Gibson's version of The Passion. And so that's the guy that uh, played the main, the main character. And the main guy's name is Tim Ballard. That's the, that was the agent for the United States. And so Tim Ballard, since he went off of the United States government payroll and went private, he set up a different foundation is called the Underground Railroad, and that's what he uses. That's the charity that he uses or the foundation he uses to go out into the world and conduct these sting operations. And he's not now limited by our United States 
um, government red tape of keeping keeping him out of the countries. So he works closely with law enforcement officials in certain countries. Once they get tips of of uh, some some bad guys and and gals, I mean this this film will portray one of the worst people is a is a woman. And uh, she was like Miss, was she Miss Columbia or Miss Venezuela or something like that? Very beautiful woman. And the way that she would lure in kids and, and from their families was, it wasn't that they're being snatched out of the street, but the way that they orchestrated this was they would come to, they would go to the malls or frequented places and then they would give cards to the family and the kids and get them all excited about becoming a model because they, they have the look for a model. And then they would lure them into, these apartments that they would rent out, take their pictures and tell the parents to come back and pick them up at a later, later time that day once they're done with the photo shoots and things like that. When the parents come back, nobody's there. They, the kids are gone, and, and then they're gone, gone. I mean, then they're trafficked from there. And the idea that this is just a story, I mean, there was a, a movie like this years ago with Liam Neeson, which I really like, you know, Taken. That was an awesome movie. This is actually real. And uh, why is it not getting the press that it deserves? And it seems like the mainstream media is actually demonizing it. And Sean, you brought this up not too long ago as we were having this discussion, that why isn't the mainstream media proclaiming this to the world and doing something about it? Instead, what they're doing is they're, they're cutting it down and they're bringing up all these issues that really, to me, aren't issues and they're the wrong issues to even be focused on. So why is the mainstream media doing that? Despite that, I just want to bring this up real quick. I was reading... Uh, last week, this little article, it says, Sound of Freedom has opened to a positive response from viewers and critics, evoking curiosity surrounding its box office numbers and production budget. It was I talked about a little bit of the, the uh, idea of the movie, um, but it goes on to say that to date, this was last week, they've grossed $40 million in the box office. So it's blowing away. It's blown away all sorts of different movies. Indiana Jones, to name one of those. And, uh, you know, those should be blockbuster hits. But And, and they're doing it through guerrilla advertising because the mainstream media will not advertise this film. Why is that? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is the Jeffrey Epstein-type Hollywood scenario. And as I watched an interview uh, with my wife on this, it came up on her social media feed, the, the anchors of that, which were part of, I can't remember what it was on. I think it was NBC or something like that. And they were talking about their reasoning as to why the film is doing so well and why there isn't a lot more attention on this issue. And their, their idea was, to me, completely missing the mark. They focused on because the people that are being trafficked, these kids that are being trafficked are of lesser means, and nobody cares about people of lesser means. If it was a white kid that was of means, then yeah, the whole world would be on fire. But they aren't. We're, they're, they're these kids that are of lesser means, and, and maybe not their skin color is different than white. And that's what the anchors were actually focusing on. They're making it so much about race and not being of means rather than the actual issue, which to me is who cares why? they're being trafficked or who's being, uh, these kids are being trafficked. Let's focus on the bad guys that are doing it and get them. Like that's the issue, regardless of whether they're from Colombia, United States or China, it doesn't matter. Let's help these kids not focus on, Oh, it's only the, the poor kids. And it's because they're not, they're not white, that they're not, um, that this issue isn't bigger. It actually is a big issue and they're trying to make it a big issue, but the, the corporate media is suppressing that issue. Well, here's the thing. They're not just suppressing it. What they're doing is they're adamantly going against it and attacking it. 
they're saying the numbers are um, embellished, that uh, it's fear-mongering, that the, the problem isn't as real as is suggested in the movie. And in reality, Tim Ballard, he, he's not shying away from any interviews. He's, inter- he's being interviewed left and right. There's dozens and dozens of interviews of him on YouTube. I've been following Tim Ballard for probably 10 years now. This, this is a real hero, a modern-day hero that we need to get behind and we need to say we need more people like this. He, was, he had a, a good career as far as pay and um, retirement goes, and he left that all behind with a family to support. Ten months left before he secured his pension because he was hot on a case of taking down this, this, this child sex trafficking ring, and he's like, I can't let this go. This is more important. Saving these children is more important than anything else in the world. And um, so the left-wing media, which is the mainstream media, is saying, no, it's not that big of a problem. Why is that? What is it that they want to hide or brush under the rug? At first, the most insidious answer is, well, they, they want to normalize pedophiles, I suppose. And, and the first suggestion to this is they don't want pedophiles to be called pedophiles anymore. They want to call them minor attracted people. That's the new politically correct term for these creatures, these credents that are demons among us. And um, they want to say that the poorest borders are not to blame for two million children being trafficked for sex trade in the United States. It's unbelievable. If you want to have outrage about slavery and atrocities that occur to humanity, let's look at what's right in front of us instead of what happened 200 years ago. Let's look at the most vulnerable among us and what we can do about it. These children are coming across the border. It used to be when they were brought across the border, they had to have a sponsor and that sponsor would come down to the Border Patrol and in person and have some credentials, and the Border Patrol would release the individual to that sponsor. Now, they, the, the children are walking across. They're anywhere between 5 and 15 years old. They've got a name of a person that they've been handed by the, the sex trafficking ring leaders, and they hand that to the Border Patrol agent with instructions to call the sponsor, and they get shipped to that sponsor. So the last leg of the trafficking cycle is actually done and funded by us, by the American people through our government, busing them or flying them to the individuals, the recipient, the, the end user of this, this sex trafficking. And he says this is a billion, multi-billion dollar industry. It's grown 5,000% in the past five years. 5,000% in the past five years. And that the United States is the largest by far consumer of child sex trafficking. And why? He said, well, cocaine um, can be sold once. And we looked at, you know, Colombia and these other countries that... um, produce illicit drugs, and we say, okay, that's a bad country because it produces the drugs. Why do they produce them? Because there's a market out there. And who is the market? The United States was the market. So really, we had it backward with Colombia and the producing the drugs. Children is so much worse because these people are living 
a, a nightmarish hell, and they can be sold not once like cocaine, but he says what happens on average is they're sold five, six times a day for 10 years. And he says this is going to be incredibly awkward for the media that's attacking this and saying it's not, a big a pro- it's not that big of a problem because these children are now, he's been working with them for 15 years. They're now adults, and they're going to come out with their own personal stories saying this is what happened to me. It's not being embellished by this movie. If anything else, we, we just hit the tip of the iceberg with this movie. And for anybody to take away the crisis that we're encountering with this um, child sex trade, you're, you're, you're just enabling the traffickers. Absolutely. If you haven't seen the movie, we highly recommend going and seeing that. Put your money where your mouth is and support this this effort to get this out there in the community and add your voice to um, to this issue. Again, that's it's known as the sound of freedom. And there's opportunities to not only go and see it and pay for that movie ticket and support it, but you can actually um, donate money to somebody else so that they can go see it. Uh, and that's what I would encourage you to do as well. So this is Life, Death, and the Law. We'll talk to you next episode. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.